The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Now, the high-level week of the 78th session of the UN General Assembly opened at UN headquarters in New York yesterday with the first day of the general debate planned for today. Ukrainian President Zelensky will join other world leaders in attendance and address the gathering. Our political reporter, Sean Defoe, is there and he's on the line now. Sean, good morning. Morning, Pat. Are you up all night? I heard you earlier on (laughs) uh, breakfast uh, and (laughs) you're still there. I've managed to get a couple of hours sleep. I'm still on, I'm, I still have a bit of jet lag. So yeah, I'm only sleeping in sort of two, three hour bursts anyway. So look, that's all mm. we need, you know, especially on UN week, everything's so busy here. You just okay. get two hours, three hours sleep and go. Obviously there will be big news when uh, President Zelensky addresses at the General Assembly and uh, we'll no doubt be talking about that all later in the day. But in the meantime, uh, you've been talking to Thonish to Michal Martin because uh, Ireland has a very particular role in this week's activities and the uh, the whole question of uh, sustainable development. Yeah, the, so the, Ireland is probably the biggest delegation we've had in a number of years, and certainly the delegation staying longest. I mean, the Taoiseach is out here, Tawnish is out here, Raymond Ryan got here very late last night and is starting his programme today, and then Stephen Donnelly is coming out today as well for a series of health forums, which for, form a big part of it. But the Sustainable Development Goals Summit is one of the big pieces of the week. It kicked off yesterday, and Ireland is the, the co-host of that, along with Qatar, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but that was the big set piece yesterday, basically trying to get all 190 three countries to come around all the negotiations in the last couple of months and agree a text because the, the goals are, are way off. They, they're about 15%, only 15% of the targets for 2030 are currently on track to be met. It was a little bit better pre-COVID, but between COVID-19, between the war in Ukraine and all these other things, they've gone well off. So that's what Ireland was charged when I sat down with Michal Martin yesterday to talk about a number of things that you hear on News Talk today. But just ask him about the goals, because when you look at them individually, I mean, the last time I really thought about the Sustainable Development Goals, I'd have to admit it was probably in school, was when we did them in SBHE and CSPE. But when you look at all the individual goals, ending world hunger, eradicating uh, poverty, cleaning up our seas, they're all things that have quite a bit of social capital behind them individually and are talked about quite a bit. And yet public and political buy-in for the Sustainable Development Goals is quite low. So just ask the Tornstra, why does he think that is? We don't. I think that's that's a, a problem and a challenge. Uh, the communication of these Sustainable Development Goals in language that matters to people on the ground. And I think there is a communications dimension to the Sustainable Development Goals that hasn't, in my view, been fully developed. Uh, so, for example, if you say to people, we want proper health care um, for children and for young people in all societies, not just developing communities. That makes sense to people. Um, education attainment and perhaps in some societies, in developed societies, if you look at Ireland, you know, high school, the high school completion rates in Europe and so on, people may say, well, are they relevant to us? But of course they are because there are still children we left behind. Um, so I think that's part of the challenge there. Um, also, of course, if you think about it, um, we've had big events in the last um, three to four years, wars, conflict, pandemic, and all of that takes people's attention away um, from issues like the Sustainable Development Goals. And what I find very concerning is the growing number of conflicts and wars um, all over the world, which is really um, causing immense hunger, displacement of, 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 of human beings, um, causing people to migrate and to flee their homelands. And that's uh, Thonish to Michal Martin. Now, it's continuing uh, today. So how much work has been put in with countries that we don't always agree with politically? 
Yeah, quite a bit. It's one of those interesting ones about the UN where you, you have got a, everyone's here. Um, as they, they put it to me, one of the Irish officials put it to me, it's sort of like the ploughing championships for international diplomacy. Just everybody is there and you have to try and, and meet and muck on in. And even the fact that Ireland is co-hosting this with Qatar, not a country you would say that we have a massive amount in common with or that we share a huge amount of goals with. Uh, but that was sort of foisted on, on Ireland. It was the Secretary General of the UN, Antonio Guterres, who came uh, and said, right, we want Ireland to do this want you to partner with Qatar in the same way that they came in 2015 and partnered Ireland with Kenya to put down the original 2030 target. So we've sort of had a hand in this all the way through. And uh, it was something I've been putting to people just wonder, how, how, how do we get on with Qatar? How do you work when there are so many differences between the more autocratic regime that they have here and Ireland? MEP Barry Andrews is out here. He's representing the European Parliament when it comes to the sustainable development goals. I just ask, you know, is, is it a little bit uncomfortable working with countries like that? No, but I mean, the UN is, uh, you know, over 190 countries and it represents the great sweep of different governmental systems from the liberal democratic to the autocratic and, and all in between. And unfortunately, we'll never achieve our climate targets or indeed in a just way unless we have, you know, we say, look, hang on a second, we've got to do these things, whether it's Qatar or China or India or any of the countries that are less than liberal democracies. Uh, so, yes, Qatar is probably a surprising uh, country to be a, a fellow penholder for the resolution that will emerge this week. Uh, we were penholders with Kenya when the SDGs were uh, uh, first signed back in 2015. Uh, so I think, you know, obviously Qatar has a long way to go in terms of uh, the rights of migrant workers, which was very much highlighted by uh, in the run up to the recent Football World Cup. And that's MEP Barry Andrews. So what's on the agenda today for the three coalition party leaders? So you've got the end of that SDG summit. There's going to be a, a statement, hopefully, that Ireland would have negotiated with all 93, uh, 193 countries as to what the next steps are, where that goes. And then, as you mentioned in your intro, the General Assembly is kicking off. That's the, the round of speeches that every country gives. Brazil giving the opening speech, followed by the U United States, and then so on and so on through the order of priorities. Ireland, uh, incidentally, is Friday for her speech, which sort of gives you an idea where we are in the overall uh, pecking order of things. And then there are different meetings, different high-level meetings going on. The Taunashta, for example, is hosting a meeting on Northern Ireland. Eamon Ryan, as I mentioned, is landing out here and starting his work when it comes to climate and the SDGs. Interestingly, he's going to be addressing the UN Security Council tomorrow on behalf of Ireland. And that could be another particularly fraught meeting because Vladimir Zelensky is coming into town today. He's going to address the General Assembly today, sort of trying to rally around, focus back on Ukraine, where for some countries, particularly some African countries, I'm told that the focus is sort of drifting saying, yeah, look, we know the war is going on. We've got our own problems. So that's his big challenge today. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I, from an Irish point of view, the Taoiseach has a number of different bilaterals. The, the way it, it sort of goes, it's a little bit like political speed dating. He's hoping to grab as many leaders in the corridors as he can uh, and then build up to the climate and health summits that, that kick off tomorrow. OK, now uh, the uh, Taoiseach has been speaking out on a number of issues. Yeah, a number. And one of the ones we might find most interesting, I suppose, given how much coverage there was, particularly on this show, Pat, is in relation to the COVID inquiry. And he was asked about this yesterday, suggested that the team who are going to manage the, the inquiry or the investigation into COVID or, or how COVID was handled, whatever you want to call it, should be in place by the end of the year. He was also asked about Dr. Tony Holden's book, the book that was out at the weekend, and in particular, um, a, a passage in that book which says that uh, Tony Holden's late wife was quite upset at the interview that the Taoiseach did, or then told 
Donisha did, that Leo Varadkar did on Claire Byrne, where he was uh, uncomplimentary, to say the least, about Neffet uh, when it came to the reopening in the Christmas of 2020. And he had a bit of an apology to make, as well as admitting mistakes when it comes to the government handling of COVID around that time. Here's some of what he had to say. I certainly acknowledged, and I think I have before, that um, I went too far in my remarks in that particular interview uh, almost three years ago now. Um, um, I was very angry at the time at the way uh, the advice from Neffet had changed very dramatically overnight, that government wasn't um, consulted, that it was briefed to the media before the government was informed, um, which which I know a lot of us in government were very frustrated at. Um, but it wasn't right of me to make personalised criticisms about members of Neffet um, questioning their uh, motivations and their understanding as to how decisions impact on people. That wasn't fair. Uh, and uh, I acknowledged at the time, and I'm certainly sorry for that and regret it. Uh, but just just on, on the second part, which I, I think is important, um, we are going to have a, a COVID inquiry. Um, I hope to have the terms of reference to government within the next few weeks, and I think it'll be able to explore a lot of the different issues. It's not going to be about putting anyone in the dock. Uh, it won't be a witch hunt, uh, but will be about finding out what we did right and what we did wrong. And there's something that always struck, struck me. Uh, I remember at the very start of the pandemic, uh, Paul Reid of the HSC saying that we'd probably get about 70% of things right and maybe 30% of things wrong, and that was inevitable given that nobody had, nobody had dealt with a pandemic before of this nature uh, and I think we did and bear in mind in Ireland we had one of the lowest excess mortality rates in the world uh, much lower than many of our neighbours um, and also our economy recovered and bounced back um, much more quickly so I think in the round all of us involved in making those decisions whether it was HSE or NEFET or Department of Health or Government um, made the right ones most of the time um, in relation to uh, the first Christmas lockdown um, like I think on reflection, um, both Neffert and government made the wrong call. Uh, Neffert proposed one form of reopening, which would have meant a lot of social interactions in private houses. Uh, government proposed a different uh, reopening plan, which involves some hospitality and some private houses. Uh, in retrospect, there shouldn't have been any opening up at all uh, because of the Alpha variant, and that changed things fundamentally. But let's not forget the advice from Neffert at the time initially was that the Alpha variant was not, not an issue of concern. So there's a lot of things to be worked through. Mm. And Leo Varadkar also suggested that a reformed television licence could actually increase in price, although uh, obviously they hope that far more people would pay it. Yeah, I know. One of those ones that people have been listening going, what? Are you, are you serious? And the question that was put to him was, if there was a new broadcasting charge, would it actually have to be reduced in order to almost lure people back in to paying it, those who aren't paying the TV licence anymore? Uh, and he said no. He, it it kind of showed, to be honest with you, the comments yesterday that the government doesn't really know, doesn't have a clue what it's going to do with this new licence charge because he said, he talked about introducing the broadcasting charge, which we charge in all houses, regardless of whether you have a TV or device or whatever, um, uh, but yet said it would be very difficult to introduce a new tax if you went down that way. We've also had Pascal Donoghue saying that he absolutely thinks some sort of a, a charge needs to be kept, that it couldn't be done out of general taxation. And Leo Varadkar seems to back that up a bit, saying that there, it's too open to political uh, influence, that if you had a future government who didn't like the media or didn't like what something RT was saying about them, they could just reduce the charge there. So he hasn't really squared it, but yet pointed out that there hasn't been a rise in the TV licence fee, I think in 10 years, more than 10 years now at this stage, and that that has to also be squared at some point. So any new broadcast in charge, whenever it does come in 24, 25, could actually be raised or be slightly higher than the 160 euro at the minute. Oh, Sean Defoe in New York. Thank you very much for joining us. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.